the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful <laughs> spells. She's actually sitting me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Let's it be, y'all. Let's it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Witches, hope everybody is faring okay today. Um, I am Courtney, and I am hosting this week's episode of That Witch Life podcast. And I am here with Hillary, hello, and Kanani, hello. Um, we're all feeling a little beaten by life today and climate change, because <laughs> um, we have had some pretty bad fires in our um, our home state. And um, I know Hillary has had to evacuate and Kanani went out searching for fresh air. Um, And um, yeah, but we are safe. We're okay. It's just incredibly smoky and that's um, difficult. I'm actually really glad we're discussing Persephone today because she went into hell and became the queen. And I feel like we're kind of in that space. So I'm looking forward to my tiara. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Do they pass them out? Um, is there like a form I got to fill out so I can be queen? Um, I don't know, but maybe maybe our guest today. Uh, we do have a really great show. Like as I mentioned, we are discussing the goddess Persephone and Robin Korok, the author of the new book, um, Persephone, Practicing the Art of Personal Power by Pagan Portals, is um, going, to, going to be joining us today. Hillary is going to be giving us a talk about nettles, and um, Kanani is finally reviewing Return to Oz, but she has already finally. told me, finally, but she's already told me that she hates me this time because of this. There's always something new, but this time it's because of the movie. Oh my God. In the meantime, um, want to tell the listeners how you're doing today, friends? Well, um, <laughs> yeah, so we left our, we, uh, my house is very close to, uh, like an evacuation zone. Uh, and the, and more importantly for us, the air quality was like incredibly, incredibly bad. So we went, um, packed up the dogs and my roommate and I, and then our two neighbors and their two cats packed up and were slightly up North. Um, and so, yeah, we're doing okay. Um, the fire that's closest to us is 0% contained. So we're just kind of watching it. I mean, I think our houses will be safe, but it was starting to get a little too close for, um, our comfort with the evacuation zone, like three quarters of a mile from our house. So I was like, you know what, let's just get ahead of this. Um, and so, yeah, we are, uh, hanging in there. Um, and I mean, yeah, as, as good as can be, (laughs) it's, it's been a, it's been a rough, uh, couple of weeks with a couple of, uh, losses of close friends as well as the fires. So, you know, just a little depleted, but hanging in there and grateful to be, um, somewhere that's a little bit, a little bit less smoky than our house, which literally was had smoke in it. So. Yeah, I think ours does too. I can't really tell because I've been smelling it so long. I don't notice it anymore. 
Oh, you could um, like see it in our house. Oh, like, you could see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, God, I don't know. I don't actually see it in here, but, um, this morning, um, my husband and I were excited because our air quality is now back on the charts. It's like around 450, which is in the hazardous area. Whereas, um, last couple of days it was over 500. Now here's the thing. The air quality index ends at 500. So when it is over 500, they don't even know what to call it. So we have been in uncharted hazardous air territory for a couple of days. And this morning we're back into the hazardous zone that actually has a level. So I'm excited. Hopefully it continues to go down. Um, Yeah. Ours was like, I checked ours this morning near our house or maybe it was last night near our house and it was 683. So we were like, bye. (laughs) I'm so glad that I'm not there, but it looks a little bit better today there too. Um, and where we are, it's, I think in the two hundreds, uh, or no, maybe it's in the three hundreds. Um, but it's a little lower than, than what? So it's still garbage, but still garbage. I mean, the big thing is just like it, you know, like there's not smoke inside the space we're in. So that's nice. That's a big improvement. Um, like we can't see haze inside, so that's good. Yeah. And it's, I think what was so strange is just how fast it all happened because it was Monday morning. Um, everything's normal. And my husband and I went to my parents' house for dinner and we noticed that there was a bit of haze and they said that there was a smoke, um, there was a smoke, that there was a fire up on Mount Hood. And we thought, oh, we're getting some smoke from the mountain. That's kind of strange. And then as we kept going, I'm like, this is a lot of smoke. And then the sky started to look deathly and the winds picked up. It was really, so by the time we got home, things looked really bad. And the next morning is when we had that, that Halloween orange sky. And I tend to downplay things around me. That's probably how I would might be good in a serious emergency. Cause I'm like, we're going to be all right. Let's just, you know, take a step at a time. And I was trying to decide whether to walk Ichabod. Um, and I took him out and I, I went outside and tried to check in with the nature spirits and I really couldn't get a feel for it. And I think it's because they were like, yeah, don't worry, the dog will tell you. And I brought him out and we were about to start our walk and he just did a total starfish like would not go anywhere. And he gets kind of nervous on walks, but I've never seen him like drop to all fours and say, no, we're not going anywhere. And he dragged me back inside and we have not, he's not been on a walk in five days, but uh, Kanani, you're a, you're a safe distance away, right? Well, I'm a safe distance away from the fires. I was attempting, we, we were able to leave the very unhealthy air quality to unhealthy air quality. That was the, the jump we were able to make. And I just checked the air quality this morning and it looks like, cause we need to go back home. And it looks like our area has gone from very unhealthy to now we're in hazardous and where we currently are has gone from unhealthy to very unhealthy. So I think that everything's blowing back out towards the ocean. And so now we're getting what has cleared up probably in your area is now blowing through our area. And so our area is going to get worse before it gets better. So that's great. So now we get to go back to hazardous instead of very unhealthy. Um, but yeah, uh, we, we've been safe from the fires. We have, we know no numerous people that have evacuated from different places, from different fires. Um, we got our house ready on, I think it was Monday we just got the guest room ready and just said, if anyone needs a place to go, here we are, you know, we're just doing the best we can. And 
you know, it was just kind of fun. It's not funny, but you know, as soon as we're out of quarantine and we can actually leave the house, now we can't leave the house because it's not safe to be breathing outside the house. So it's like, okay, well, here's another week and a half stuck in the house and able to do anything. So, um, it's just been really, it's been nuts. We, we have family in California, so we're used to tracking fires. I have, um, fire alerts that come on my phone for our family in California. So we know when they're evacuated or, or what's happening in their areas. But this has been the first time that we've ever had to track it here. And uh, I know Courtney mentioned earlier, due to our quarantine, we were not able to make it to our Detroit Lake camp trip. Uh, And I plan that camp trip every year because that is where I camped as a child every year. And so that's where my children have camped ever since they've been camping. And I plan a huge group one at least once a year. And there's usually between anywhere from 12 to 25 of us that go and, um, it just burned down. So, uh, do we get confirmation that the campsite's gone? It it burnt burnt through the town. The people were being, the people were being, um, that was the, the one point that I completely lost it when I was picturing, um, they had said that there's a day use, uh, park where my husband used to, have to move his car because there wasn't enough parking at the campground. So it's just, I mean, minutes away from the campground and they had about 70 people with firefighters trying to do a last stand there to try and save these people's lives. And at the end, they tried to get helicopters to come in and get them and they couldn't because they, the helicopters couldn't see because of the smoke and they weren't able. And then finally they were able to find back routes out that didn't involve the highway so that they could actually, they actually were able to get these people uh, out so that they didn't just literally die there. And so yeah. that when I heard that and I read that, I just started crying because I'm just picturing yeah. what it would be like to be standing there amongst a small group of people, just looking up at the sky thinking I'm about to die. Yeah. Some people were actually in the lake, um, trying to avoid that. I think they brought in a snow plow to push away burning debris. Yeah. So I mean, it was, it was, they were doing, I mean, they were there for the last stand. They really thought like, this is, this is do or die. We're all either going to live through this or we're all going to die. And I just, that went, and like I said, that combined with the fact that I know exactly where that park is. I've been to that park. That's where it, the park is right outside where we camp. And, um, the thing that, you know, I still feel like it's a little too close to be, I don't want to say happy, but hopeful. But one of the things that his aunt who lives, my husband's aunt who lives in California, who they've been through this year after year, keeps reminding me is she said, you know, six months or no, I think she said it was like, it was like eight weeks after uh, one of the horrible fires that went through. She said she went hiking with a, a friend of hers who was worked with forestry service And she said she was amazed, one, at how many trees are still standing, and two, that the undergrowth was already starting to come back and was beautiful and vibrant because in a lot of ways, this is actually very healthy for the ecosystem. And and so she's like, it's hard because it's so traumatic in the moment. So uh, so I I know the the campground will come back. It's just a matter of, you know how long they have the money to have new picnic tables and new uh, campfire pits and build new bathrooms and things like that. But, but I know the trees will still be there and it will still be there. The lake will still be there. And, um, but just the moment when you're seeing something that you love so much just on fire is just traumatizing. 
So I'm trying to keep that in the back of my mind that, you know, it's not gone. It's, it's just moment, you know, this is a momentarily gone. This isn't a forever gone. Yeah. So and it's, it's just also scary for me. Cause that's where, you know, my husband and I were just a month ago. Yep. Like literally a month ago in, in, in the span of the earth, that's basically a second earlier, you know, it could have happened then. I mean, it was still dry then. As, tra- as traumatic as it is, it's still there. Yeah. And, and in some ways, as, as much as you don't want to hear it, it's actually much healthier for the vegetation um, because of all the nutrients and stuff that come into this. The, the worst part to me is, one, when people lose their homes and, God forbid, their lives, lives but yeah. also animals. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the part that you can't get back. You can't get back people. You can't get back animals. But you can the, – the space will survive and homes can be rebuilt and things like that. So – well, and the big, the larger trees, they tend to regenerate pretty well. Yep. Um, the smaller vegetation won't, it will eventually, but like the, but the larger trees, uh, you know, they, they fare all right, you know, um, they've been through many wildfires before and still are standing, but yeah, it's definitely, um, I definitely feel for all the people who have lost their homes or property, um, and, uh, and the areas of that, you know, that we love to be in that, you know, have been impacted so heavily. It's definitely, it's definitely sad to see, but also, um, you know, when I look at, like I was saying to, um, to my roommate that when I look at, when I look at the like Tillamook national forest that, uh, that burned really badly when my mom was, I think she must've been in her early twenties. Um, you know, and it's regenerated so well from that fire um, and it was a massive fire too. So we, we see that, that these things do regenerate. They just take time. What's so funny that for me in my witchcraft practice, and I had this conversation with Kanani and Hillary, I think you and I talked about it too, was that my husband and I put our, our 15 minute to go box. Like if they, if they said go now and we only had time to get one thing, we have a fireproof box with a lock on it that has, um, like our marriage certificate, my birth certificate, our passports, and things that just absolutely could not be replaced. My great grandmother's necklace and a piece of my grandmother's China and my husband's hard drive. So we locked all those things that if we had time to take one thing besides our pets, that's what we would grab and we would go. And then I had, I arranged an area for if we had two hours of warning, which is all my journals from high school. And I've got them in an easily, there's boxes of them, like large boxes of them. And if I needed to grab them, I have time. I don't have to go searching through the attic or something. Yeah. They're all there. I can just grab them and throw them in the car if I needed to. And it wasn't until after I organized all that stuff that I realized it didn't even cross my mind to put any of my magical supplies in either one of those to-go areas. And I think if I'm really thinking about it, there if I had two hours, there are um, two tarot decks I would take, which have incredible sentimental value to me. And I know exactly where they are and could grab them very easily but everything else, even the things I've made, even stuff that was rather expensive, my goddess statues, I wouldn't take any of that. And yeah. I, I mentioned that to Kanani and she just said, yeah, well, you can replace all that. You can't replace your grandmother's necklace, your great grandmother's yeah. necklace. Yeah. yeah. Like I, when I was, so we packed out, I mean, we had time obviously. Um, so we packed out everything that we would be like devastated if, 
like irreplaceable stuff. So like a bunch of stuff that was my mom's and stuff that was my grand grandmother's, um, jewelry from the family. And then, um, and then I packed like a few things from my altar, but really not much. I mean, like it was mostly just pictures of ancestors or like items that were of family members that had passed. Those were like the only things I grabbed. I was like, well, I mean, as much as I want to bring every single one of these crystals and every candle that I have, like, it's just not feasible. So it's like all of this can be replaced. Even the, even the, even the really expensive rare crystals, they can be replaced, but like, I can't replace, you know, the picture, my grandmother's portrait that she had when she was in her twenties, you know, I not, I can't replace like the, um, some of the jewelry that, was my grandmother's or my mom's. Yeah. Um, at least we have a new moon coming up on Thursday, um, which is in Virgo. So I'm, I'm thinking it's probably going to clarify a lot of, a lot of that kind of stuff, like what really is important I mean, in a very practical way, because Virgos are seriously about, about the practicality and checking the lists and stuff like that. So I feel like a, that in addition to the things we've experienced, I feel like a lot of people are going to be having those kind of those kind of awakenings. And so if, if, especially if you're dealing with a kind of a cluttered mind, this new moon that's coming up is really going to be helpful in, um, in, in, in clarifying that for you. Um, speaking of which Hillary is going to talk to us about nettles, which I think has some clarifying properties as well. Am I, unless I'm mistaken. So yes, actually it's a, it's a really timely, it's really timely that we're talking about this herb. Um, because it is incredibly good for dispelling darkness and fear and for aiding in grounding in the ability to handle an emergency situation. So, uh, so it's really good for that, um, kind, kind of clearing out that fear and panic, um, and bringing in, you know, uh, strength and an understanding of how to handle something. Uh, so, it's good for emergencies. And since so many of us are experiencing emergencies right now, you can sprinkle it around your home or in the thresholds of your home, uh, to, to ward off negativity, um, and, and kind of keep the energy inside nice and positive and clear. You can care. You can also carry it with you in a satchel. Um, and that will help to ground you to, to provide you with strength and to dispel and kind of just let that, that fear or panic kind of fade away. It's a really good herb to use during times of emergency or struggle. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I collected some earlier in the season from my yard. There was tons and tons and tons of nettle. Um, I mean, there's, by the way, there's lots of different kinds of nettle and each nettle has some additional properties, but we're talking about nettle in general. Um, so that, so it's, but yeah, it's, I have found that, uh, when I, I, when I noticed there was so much around the area early, earlier, uh, this, I think it must've been in like May, um, April or May, I just started collecting it all and drying it so that I could use it during times when I might need it. And so it's been, um, it's been a useful herb for me just to kind of use in dispelling anxiety or fear around things that are out of my control. So in this scenario, um, again, I highly recommend it to carry it with you in a satchel, uh, especially if you're in a scenario where you're really afraid, where you think that dispelling that fear might ground you. 
It's so funny because I had a lot of nettle at my house this year and I didn't collect it. And I know, and I also had a lot of thistle. So I'm wondering if thistle has some similar properties because they're both very prickly and protective. Um, but you know, that's what, what a lot of witches say is pay attention to what is growing around your house is it may be giving you a sign of times to come. And I didn't recognize that. But now if I start seeing but lots yeah. of nettle, like more nettle than usual and nettle, well, nettle yeah. 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 Thistle is also really good for protection. Um, uh, it's, it's good for health protection. I mean, it's not going to cure, let's, I must, I just want to make this clear. It's not going to cure any illness, but it is good for keeping you protected. Um, it, uh, and, and also it is also good for warding off, um, unwanted visitors, thieves, protecting your home. Um, so s- similarly, it's very, very protective, but it has, it is more healing because thistles used, uh, in, um, in, uh, herbalism a lot for di- different health ailments. So it actually has some, you know, healing properties, but is also protective where, um, where I think for nettle, it's more about getting rid of things that are weighing you down, if that makes sense. Versus, oh, totally. So, so combined together, they would actually be quite good. Um, nettle has that protective property to get, to kind of keep, um, negativity out. Um, and then the addition to kind of dispelling what's weighing on you where thistle, uh, protects also, but, uh, is, is more like body health related. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, now I know what I need to look for next summer. It's like every year I always think, Oh, I should have collected more of that herb when I had the chance, but at least I have a lot of lemon balm and some St. John's wort. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, nice. That's not bad. Those are both those are all great herbs. We know yeah. how much everyone loves lemon balm. I still think I have some of the lemon balm that you gave me last year on top of oh, the yeah. lemon balm I've collected this I year. I was passing so. that shit out. Take, take. Cordy was so funny. She's like, use this for magical purposes, but don't steep it in a tea because I'm pretty sure my dog peed on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thank, thank I was like, thanks for the heads up, friend. I would a good friend would tell you that a shit friend would be like I'm sure it's fine if she washes it you know like I wouldn't I wouldn't have told you no I'm just kidding I would have told you <laughs> I would have waited until you were drinking it and then been like oh by the way my dog peed on that that's something you would have done in high school actually that's something yeah, you that, would have done that is some school. high school shit that's 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 not Hillary now that's Hillary 20 years ago you totally would have done it and then yeah, you're like I'm just kidding no but actually really like but also maybe now also <laughs> So switching gears, Kanani finally saw Return to Oz and is going to review it for us. So now it's time for everybody's favorite segment. Kanani reviews a movie the rest of the world has already seen. Kanani, tell us all about Return to Oz. I can tell you for about the first 45 minutes. And then I decided that I have suffered enough trauma lately that I did (laughs) not need to watch the other 45 minutes or however much longer that movie was going to try and last. You didn't even watch the whole thing. It was awful. It was awful. I can tell you the moment that I stopped it was when, okay, first tell us the premise because not everybody has seen it. Tell us the premise. The, the, the premise was supposedly it was like Dorothy 10 years younger than she was in the original movie. The week after her event had happened where they're getting her electroshock therapy because everyone (laughs) thinks she's crazy. And 
somehow she finds her way back to the Emerald City. And at that point, I was already kind of like, I didn't know if I was going to sleep or if I just was going to turn it off. But I'm like, I don't know, maybe something at some point is going to happen. And then you see the wheelers, which are some sort of creepy human people on wheels. I don't even know. At that point, I was about to lose it. And then she finds this mechanical machine called TikTok. And then they go into the Emerald City to try and find out what has happened and why is everything so terrible. And they meet this evil headless queen (laughs) who is going to steal her head. And she's the queen is dragging her and the machine TikTok goes to save her. And then he goes, oh, no my action has run out from fighting the wheelers. I can't save you. And the little girl looks back and she goes, it can't be helped, TikTok, and done. End scene. That is when I was done. The, her little friend. Why oh, are you such a hater? And You're such scene. a hater. It was, yeah, I'm... I was trying to decide if I was more angry about that than I was about the Wicker Man. <laughs> but oh, that movie on. didn't give me nightmares, so I'm still going to say Wicker Man was much worse because it yeah, was, it was actually I, traumatizing I, as opposed to I just want those 45 minutes of my life back. <laughs> I, I was going to say I was going to say that I think that it can't possibly you can't possibly hate it more than you hated Wicker no, Man. No, no, no. That was that was legitimately traumatizing. I will probably always have nightmares about that movie. Whereas this was just, I am so angry that you stole those 45 minutes from my life. <laughs> but on the other hand, later in the evening, I did watch another movie that I have not seen all the way through because we watched it with the kids, which was Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Okay. So that was absolutely adorable. And if anyone doesn't believe... Tell us the premise. Yeah, tell us the premise. So the premise of that one is it's set in the time of, uh, of the war in the 40s. It was, it's, the movie was from 1971, but um, it was supposed to be set in the 40s, the time of the war with the Nazis. And um, a witch is involved in a magical school through the mail, because of course they don't have the web. And the school tells her that because of the war, they are no longer going to be operating. And so she's not going to get the very last spell that she was hoping to get. And these kids that are orphaned from the war are forced to kind of, she's forced to take them in because they have nowhere to go. And so she has to take them with her on a quest to find the last spell so that she can complete her witch training and it's all the little adventures and stuff they have on the way. And then she finds out from the man who was running the school that he actually thought it was all a joke and he didn't actually think that any of the spells worked. And so he was amazed that she was actually, the spells worked for her and she was able to do magic with them. And so it's just kind of that whole that whole tale, and eventually uh, the Nazis come into their town, and she's able to use the magic to turn uh, knights, what would you call them, knights in armor that are in the castle, turn them into uh, being mobile, and so that the 
pretend knights fight the soldiers and scare them off. And so they leave and she's able to help end the war. So that was actually a super cute movie. I like that. And if anyone does not believe that I am as crabby as I say that I am during the movie, my kids actually really liked it. My, my mother had never seen it. She kept trying to fast forward through the songs (gasps) in the movie which was infuriating the kids. And every time they would start to sing, my mom was just like, oh my God, they're singing again. And she'd hit fast forward. The kids would be like, grab it now, grab it now. So the crabby apple does not fall far from the crabby tree. That's all I'm saying. I used to sing one of those songs to my cousin when she was 11. I think I was probably eight. And it's the one that goes, you're at the age of not believing, doubting everything you ever knew. And my cousin would be like, that's right. Cause she was, you know, old, she was older and bossy. Now we're like best friends, but that the time. is the first song. And that is where my mom about lost her mind and made them turn off the movie. <laughs> well, we got a bonus. That means that we got a bonus movie review. So Kanani knocked out two and one and um, has now seen two movies that the rest of the world has already seen. So, um, <laughs> I saw we'll dig one, and back. one and a half. Okay. Okay. You, you, <laughs> You vetoed one and watched another. So um, we have a listener response. Uh, David Shee, who's actually was um, one of the people we interviewed back for the Protection Magic episode, who is a witch and an author, um, wrote to us in response to our listener who was concerned about returning to work during COVID. Um, I just listened to the latest podcast episode and I heard the listener's question about having to go back to teach an in-person class in an area with a COVID surge. I do feel compelled to share this one ceremony format that perhaps could be adapted for her situation, provided that the listener has access to nature or land. This was used by multiple Mongolian Darkhad elder shamans back in April. If you are able to pass this along to the listener, you are welcome to do so. Collect a pine branch or any evergreen needle branch with multiple smaller branches twigs with needles coming off of them. Write the names of herself and anyone she wishes to protect and write them on small white strips of cloth. Paper may work as well. Tie these cloth strips onto the smaller branches coming off the large branch. Finish prepping the space spiritually. While holding and shaking the branch in both hands, call out to the ancestors, spirits, and gods that the person works with. Sing if compelled. Express deep emotional prayers while shaking the branch. Pray for protection as well as strength to overcome COVID-related obstacles. I'm going to add fire-related obstacles. If compelled, the names of the people that need protection can be said, along with their birth year and any significant astrological signs. We use the Asian astrological animals, but you could use whatever astrology signs are um, typical to you in your practice. This process can, should take as long as it needs to. Typically, this is when Mongolian shamans enter into a trance possession by their ancestral spirits, and the spirit through the body of the shaman directly charges the branch. The pine branch, being an evergreen, is an expression of eternity, health, and acts as both a vehicle for the working as well as a powerful offering to the spirits. At some point, dip the base of the branch into a bowl of milk, just dip, no need to dunk, and let the milk drip off the branch while praying. When done praying, plant the the base of the branch into the ground. 
If the person has an object they would like to charge for protection, have that object available as well. Shake the branch over the object and use this opportunity to charge the branch and the object with the same intention. If there are other people present, have them scatter milk and grain, typically rice or barley, but any should work, offerings upward towards the sky in all directions and towards the ground in all directions. Leave some offerings addressing the ancestors and gods as well. If nobody else is present, do these after the prayers. Leave whatever grain remains at the base of the branch. Milk is symbolic of life, first food that most animals take in from their mothers when born, also symbolic of motherly care. And grains are symbolic of eternity, as um, as a handful contains many pieces of grain. Traditionally, a cooked sheep is offered as well, but that doesn't have to be necessary for a Western person. Cooked food may be appropriate. It's okay to eat some of the cooked food offerings, as these are considered to be food blessed by the spirits during the ceremony. My dark hod shaman friends, elders, perform these at a spirit house of past shamans. I would be mindful of where this is performed and the pine branch planted. Perhaps an area where the person commonly does spirit work or leave offerings and is typically undisturbed with little or no traffic. When we did this, flocks of of birds arrived and perched at the trees above us, letting us know the spirit came and heard us. Anyway, just wanted to share this as I believe this would be very useful for that listener. Best, David. I think this is great, and I want to post this on our um, our website. So please go to thatwitchlife.com um, for this episode, and we can have that available. Um, thank you so much, David, for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom with us. I think it's going to mean an awful lot to people, um, certainly that listener, but I think there's a lot of people right now who could, could use that, whether or not you're in a fire-prone state. Um, so meanwhile, um, giving a special thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. We had some really wonderful bonus content this week um, with Evo, who we interviewed last week about covens. So he was talking with us about red flags when approaching a coven. Um, somebody posted underneath this that that should be required listening for all witches, whether or not they're planning on joining a coven. And um, we also have our ritual for the full corn moon. So you can certainly check that out, adopt pieces of it for your next full moon. Um, the harvest moon is coming up in early October. And so, um, certainly lots of, um, lots of things you can pull from there for that. And we want to give a special shout out to Christina who joined us at the Kanani NB friend level for $25 a month. And therefore I will be pulling a tarot card for Christina. Okay. Christina, your card is... Okay, you have the Seven of Cups. So the Seven of Cups is a mixed bag card. Um, It is one that encourages you very much to focus on your dreams, but it also encourages you to minimize your distractions. The blessing of the Seven of Cups is that it brings a lot of inspiration and a lot of wonderful opportunities, very rich things that can really lift your life and make it whole and beautiful. But it also can bring bring along a lot of things that can distract you from what you need to be doing. If this were my card and we're coming up on the Virgo new moon, I would really take this opportunity to use that moon to clarify what things you really want in your life. Cause now is a time when you can really get those, but make sure that you are not being muddled down with distractions that don't ultimately align you with your best purpose and your highest self. So thank you again for joining us at the Kanani and friend level. Again, if you join us at level 25 or over, you do get a special shout out as well as, um, drawing, um, as well as getting a tarot card. 
So yeah, if you want to support the show, consider supporting us on Patreon to get access to bonus content and other goodies. If you can't do a monthly donation, we totally get it. You can buy us a coffee or you can buy that Witch Life merchandise on Etsy, all handmade by Kanani. Um, in addition, consider becoming an episode sponsor. It's a great way to promote your business or your event to thousands of people in the magical marketplace or even wish your favorite witch a happy birthday. Um, so find out more on our website at thatwitchlife.com between now and the end of September, we are still donating 10% of all of our proceeds to the United Way of Central Iowa for their storm release, um, relief efforts. So after a natural disaster, guys, um, national attention shifts away very quickly, but cleanup efforts take a long time. There's a lot of energy focused on the Pacific Northwest right now, but we are going to keep our word and continuing to help our friends in the Midwest um, but we also are also giving part of our proceeds to Habitat Humanity of Los Angeles, who has been dealing with fires for weeks now. And so we want to be able to support our friends down south as well. So if you want to help Oregon directly, please check out the show notes on our website and we will recommend local causes helping this area directly. So, and that's fine. I think we are now ready for a word from our sponsor. Believe it or not, Yule is just around the corner, and what better place to get handmade, magically charged candles, incense burners, or altar cloths for every witch on your holiday list than from real witches making real magic and supporting a better world? If this sounds like you, then check out The Witch's Resistance. The Witch's Resistance was an idea born out of the anti-liquid natural gas movement starting at an action in Tacoma, Washington. They are more than just a name. Proceeds from their handcrafted art and spell candles help support a variety of causes as well as their ability to go to events and actions. In addition to handcrafted candles, they offer a carefully curated selection of all of your witchy needs, including altar tools with everything from cauldrons to mortars and pestles, all engraved with pentagrams and pagan knotwork. Their candles are charged for numerous things, including protection, healing, purification, and prosperity, among others. I got my favorite t-shirt from these wonderful witches, the one that says, a witch's place is in the resistance. It not only evokes envy for my magical and social justice-oriented friends, but it opens conversation with new witch friends. Supporting our small businesses is really crucial right now, so it feels good to me that I'm not only supporting a family-owned magical business, but I'm also supporting causes that I care about, such as Black Lives Matter and stopping liquid natural gas infrastructure, two causes supported by the Witches' Resistance. Visit witchesresistance.com today and enter code THATWITCHLIFE at checkout to receive a 10% discount for all purchases made between now and October 31st, 2020. Thank you, Witches Resistance, for being an episode sponsor. All right, so we are delighted to welcome Robin Korak, who is the author of the Moon Books Pagan Portals title, Persephone, Practicing the Art of Personal Power. Robin has presented locally and at national conferences, including Paganacon, Pantheacon, and the Sisterhood of Avalon Ninefold Festival. A longtime member of the Sisterhood of Avalon, where she currently serves as the board secretary, Robin has also had her writing published in multiple anthologies and currently writes a blog for Agora Patheos entitled Phoenix Rising. 
In addition to having a passion for goddesses and myths, she has several years of experience with modalities such as Reiki, coaching, and tarot reading. Passionate about helping others achieve their full potential, she is also the CEO of a large nonprofit social service organization in Washington State. Robin is currently working on her next book about the goddess Demeter. So Robin, how are you faring in your area? Are you, did you have to evacuate? Are you safe? We are safe. It is very smoky outside, um, but fortunately the fires are not within our immediate vicinity. I know in your area you're experiencing some of that as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we spent the first part of the uh, episode talking all about that. So I will um, leave it be. I'm really glad we're discussing Persephone today because, you know, it's helpful to look at models in mythology that went through hell and managed to make it through to the other side. But um, Kanani, as I was reading Robin's book, I realized something. You are basically Persephone. Explain. Okay. So she. I, mean, I, I refer to myself as a goddess all the time, but let's, let's get some clarification here. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Persephone is super close with her mom. Got it. Okay. She is easily distracted by shiny, pretty things. Check, check. Okay. She married her polar fucking opposite. I've been there, done that twice. Yes. <laughs> when she got stuck in a strange place, she took over and became queen. This is very familiar to my, are you sure we're talking about someone other than myself? Well, let's keep going. So um, she is equally associated with cute, friendly things as she is associated with creepy, scary things. I still believe we're talking about me. And then finally, her love for snacks got her in some big time trouble. I have two children. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so, and then, so basically she spends half her time in the socially acceptable world and the other half doing witchcraft with things that scare the mainstream. And we're still talking about me, right? Yes. Well, so you also told me, Kanani, that you actually have not heard the Persephone myth in full. I have not. Okay. So here we go. Um, Robin, you can tell me about all the plot holes and stuff when I'm done, but here's what I know. And I think this is what most people know. So um, Persephone is the daughter of the goddess Demeter and Demeter is in charge of making sure the world is warm and friendly and pretty and producing crops. Right? So um, one day, Persephone is off and like I said, shiny, pretty things. She sees a flower that she's really interested in. And there's a couple of myths, one that she tries to pick the flower and she gets pulled into Hades or the other that Hades comes and swoops her up and carries her off. So meanwhile, Demeter is so upset that she curses the earth. That's what my mother would do. Yes. <laughs> so, and while Persephone is in Hades, she basically becomes the queen and she goes into the garden and she gets hungry. And although she knows it's not a good idea, she eats some pomegranate seeds anyway. And then when she's finally brought back to her mother, um, her, there's, it's like, well, she ate these seeds, so she really can't leave fully. So, but I get that you're really upset. So she had to stay in um, Hades for one month of the year for every pomegranate seed that she ate. And then the rest of the time she could be on earth with her mother. So uh, Robin, um, did I get that right? What did I miss? No, you did get that right. Uh, that is the traditional myth that we know as the, the hymn to Demeter. There are other versions of the myth that are a little bit different, but the basic version that we all know, you described perfectly. 
Okay. Yay. I like it. Now in your book, you do cover some of the alternative um, myths of Persephone. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But first of all, we want to ask the famous question, which you as a listener knew is coming. Um, When did you first realize that you were a witch or a magical person? So this is an interesting question. I think that I always knew there was something off about me. I'm not sure other people would describe it as me being a witch or magical person. Um, but I've always been drawn to fantasy and myth and stories about witches. And I think the first time I had an experience which really reinforced this to me was I was seven or eight years old and my grandfather was in the hospital and I had a dream. And he came to me and he basically let me know he had to leave and he took off in a limousine and we woke up the next morning and uh, found out that he had passed during the night. And so had different experiences like that throughout my life, but didn't really share them with people. So it wasn't until I was in my in my 20s that I fully embraced um, paganism and being a witch. But I, I think all along I knew there was something. I just didn't know how to define it. I just love that your grandfather took off in a limousine. Yes. Right? He, also, <laughs> he also was holding his hospital gown behind him so that nothing would show. And that was completely his personality. <laughs> he rode away. They didn't even like the dead couldn't even give him a nice suit. They'd be like, well, we can't do anything about the clothes, but we got you a nice car. How's that? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so you talk about how Persephone really came to you throughout the course of your book. You talk about growing up and having, um, dealing with a lot of illness and being very lonely. So for our listeners, oh, sorry. I just realized I want to let our listeners in on something. Um, Hillary's internet has completely crapped out. So she will not be joining us for this interview. Unfortunately, um, apocalypse is, sucky on many levels, but one of them is on technology and Wi-Fi. So uh, we love you, Hillary, and we will see you um, at the next episode. So, um, but for us, Robin, tell us how, um, tell our listeners, if you don't mind, how Persephone really came to you. Sure. So I have a very rare medical condition, and that meant when I was younger, I was very physically fragile. I was sick a lot of the time. My bone age was behind my chronological age. So I spent a lot of time reading, um, but I also spent a lot of time, the, the concept of personal power was nothing I could wrap my head around because I felt like I didn't have any personal power. And I remember reading about Persephone and particularly in her Cora or her maiden aspect. And I was, I was entranced because on the one hand, here's a goddess, I mean, this powerful being, but on the other hand, she had a lot of elements of her life in the beginning of her story that really resonated with me, not having a lot of power over the direction of her life. And so it was very, on the one hand, it was very uh, inspirational to think that, oh, this, this person, um, this goddess has some of the same characteristics I do. And then on the other hand, I thought, well, she can't get her crap together. What chance do I have, right? So, <laughs> so, but later on, as I got older, I started to associate more with the side of her as the queen of the underworld. And she kept popping into my life at various points. And then finally, I would say about a, a few years ago, I just fully embraced her and thought, all right, I'm going to work with her um, and devote my time and, and energy to her. And it's really enriched my life. I love the idea of a goddess that doesn't quite have her shit together <laughs> and yet still is able to rule the, rule the underworld. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think that a lot of us in paganism and witchcraft are still influenced by the Christian ideals of that. God is all powerful and all knowing. Yeah. And it's a kind of scary concept when you get into paganism and you realize that, 
the gods struggle with a lot of the same things that we do and they screw up and they, they, you know, are a hot mess. And Persephone is a bit of a hot mess. You're right. You know, she's, she's out chasing flowers and she ends up running off with her boyfriend. Who's a big, who's himself, you know, the, 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 the exact one that her, their mother would does not want her to marry, Mm -hmm. you know, like (laughs) go like, and so that just makes me, um, but I feel like there's some freedom and some comfort there and that, Maybe we're not inherently screwed up. This is just part of the, the having a hot mess period is still is just part of the human condition. I say that because I had a good um, thirty years of being a hot mess. The last nine years, I've, I've relatively gotten it together. But yeah, <laughs> Kanani's on mute, fortunately, but I can feel her shaking her head over there, going, "I don't know about that." I'm not yeah. disagreeing. <laughs> She's just, I think she's silent because she's being called out. She goes, I am Persephone incarnate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, so. I, 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 I might be, uh, I might end up with a, uh, needing to have a Persephone statue in my house at some point. I'm thinking. <laughs> so I can just kind of it. give her the look and be like, I got you sister. I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get along fine. Then you could get one of Demeter for your mom. She'd love that. Being all powerful, being able to curse the world. Sounds like something your mom would be into. Upset about something your daughter does goes into a rage. Totally familiar. <laughs> 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 she can fly down the world until she gets her way. Got it. Check. <laughs> pass the musical numbers in a movie, even though the kids like it, but just because they irritate her. Like, <laughs> can't do it. Can't be done. <laughs> Oh no, it's going to be one of those episodes. I'm sorry, Robin. That's okay. I love this. Um, so, so we talked a little bit about, um, the, the traditional myth of Persephone ending up in Hades and eating the pomegranate seeds, but you also talk about some alternative myths for Persephone. Um, tell us a little bit about those. Sure. And, And what's interesting about the traditional myth is I always get this vision of like, Hades coming out of the ground, looking like Jason Momoa, and Persephone yes. <laughs> standing there like, oh, the bad boy, I shouldn't go with him, but I'm going to go and just pretend like, you know, it wasn't me, like I had no choice. And if you look at the traditional myth at the end, when uh, Demeter asks her, did you eat anything? And she basically is like, oh, but it wasn't my fault. And so perfect teenage angst. But the, the other versions of the myth, the Orphic Kims, and even when I went to Greece and was looking at a lot of the art and the statues, they show Persephone and Hades, and sometimes Demeter in the picture too, smiling. And so in some of the other versions of the myth, Persephone, um, with some trepidation, goes with, goes with Hades willingly. And she is not raped as she is in the traditional version. She is not overtaken. It's basically a transition from childhood to womanhood. And so it's a much more positive telling of the story. And in those tellings of the story, Demeter, um, although she is, you know, taken aback at the loss of her daughter, as any parent, I think, has a hard time letting go when, you're, when your children become adults, she does not uh, react in the same way as she does in the traditional myth. And so it's a, it's a, very, much, it's a very different look at the whole story. I've, I've seen, um, of course, a lot of my 
my favorite myths are told in memes. There's this really beautiful um, meme of Persephone and Hades snuggling in bed together. And it's like at the eve of the spring equinox and they just are so sad because she has to go back to earth Mm -hmm. and they don't want to be separated. And I have some friends that are dedicated to um, Hades and they really struggle with the springtime because they're like, I don't want to be away from him. Yeah, I mean, as a as a um, child of Persephone, do the change of the seasons affect you in any sort of way? It it does, not to the point where spring is is hard for me. But what I will say is that I've always been more drawn to fall and to winter. And even in the work that I do with the light half and the dark half of the year, as scary as the dark half can be, when you're in basically your your own underworld. Um, it's the light half that can be more intimidating because when you're in the light half, you're out there in the full light of the day. There's no place to hide. And so it is, and you can also rest in the dark half and you can rest in the underworld. Whereas in the light half, you have to start making things happen. And so from that perspective, it it did take me a while to really, um, really find my, my balance in the light half as well. And I think the thing that's interesting to me about Persephone too, is she's not an in your face goddess. She doesn't come into the world with this, I am powerful, you know, Aphrodite walks into a room and everyone knows Persephone, not so much, but she is powerful nonetheless. And she has the power of sovereignty and that holds true, whether she's the goddess of spring or whether she's the queen of the underworld. See Kanani, Persephone also starts decorating for fall on August 1st. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're just like two halves of a whole. <laughs> it's, as long you know, as you're not married to your uncle, I think that's. <laughs> I, I dodged that bullet, and I'm grateful <laughs> because wow, that just no, just no. So, how might Persephone be relevant to modern witches? I think that one of the things that, that I love about Persephone is that she shows you how to get in touch with your own power. So as a modern witch, um, I think, you know, and, and particularly women who are witches in our society, we still grapple with this whole concept of personal power. And so Persephone is really helpful about helping us work through those incidents in our life, which maybe um, have held us back in some way and helping us to let go of those. So she's really good about helping us to do some shadow work uh, and in, but in our personal underworld, and to really work through that, to peel away the layers and let go. But she's also very powerful when it comes to manifesting what it is that we want in the world. And I think that, too, the other piece where I find her very interesting to work with is as a psychopomp. So if you're a witch that happens to do that kind of work, I find Persephone to be a very helpful guide. And, and the thing I think that she's very accessible. Her energy, uh, to me anyway, my experiences with her, is uh, much more gentle than some of the other guides and deities that work as psychopomps out there. And so she's a little bit more accessible for some people that are drawn to that work, but maybe feel intimidated by some of the other deities that do that work. So shadow work is such a huge part of witchcraft, but it means different things to different people. What does shadow work mean for you in your practice? Yeah. So for me, it really means delving into my own subconscious, looking at where I have wounds and how they're holding me back. I kind of, it, to me, it's kind of the equivalent of, you know, when you're in, when you're 16 or whatever point you take driver's training and they have that car where you're at the steering wheel, but their trainer also has a steering wheel and can override what you're doing. I feel like sometimes our shadow wounds or our demons or that trainer, we don't really know they're there. And so as long as we don't pay attention to them, they will continue to navigate and direct our lives in ways that we may not want. 
And some of the uh, coping mechanisms that worked for us as a child do not necessarily work for us as adults, particularly in relationships. And so for me, shadow work is really delving into what are those things from my past that I haven't let go of or I haven't fully processed that are holding me back or manifesting in ways that are not healthy for me, peeling away the layers and getting to the heart of that and figuring out how to let go of those things and what do I want to fill the void with in the light half. But it does require, I mean, with Persephone, it does require an ability to be very honest with ourselves, which can be very challenging um, and very accountable, but also very gentle with ourselves. And I feel like that's an important thing to to mention. There's There's been talk over the years about like, you know, it's become very popular for witches to really focus on on dark stuff, dark, you know, dark gods, dark goddesses. And, and I actually don't agree with the term dark or light goddesses. I think that all got, I think that, that all goddesses can be a combination of things, but sometimes there can be a tendency to go into what, um, I've heard people call dark fluff where you're attracted to what you think is dark and scary and spooky without actually thinking about what it means and what the purpose of it is. That's, I think it's a reaction because for so long, witchcraft was always focused on making it light and happy and friendly and nice. And we don't want it to be scary. And that's, that's a shallow view of witchcraft, but it's equally shallow to just be looking at darkness for its own sake. But I feel like what you're saying is so important because if you use that opportunity to go into shadow and heal from something or find, um, find a power that has long been hidden from you and bringing that to life, that that's a very powerful tool. Yeah, I would agree. I think that, um, and I will say a lot of the, uh, a lot of my work with Persephone as well as my work with the Sisterhood of Avalon has really helped in that process. And it's amazing the things that you learn about yourself. Um, it can be really uh, intimidating in the beginning to do that work, but the things that you learn about yourself, and you mentioned that some of the hidden gifts, and I find that some of our, our gifts and our tr- greatest treasures we find in doing that shadow work. And, and actually, if you look at Persephone and you look at Greek agricultural cycles, uh, theirs were a little bit different. So they would, um, oftentimes, they would start har- harvesting things. Uh, the grain was planted in the fall, grew in the winter, and then they would ripen and harvest in spring and summer. And they would harvest the grains and put them in silos to be preserved in the ground. So really, the entire wealth of the community was kept in the literal underworld. And yet the pomegranate, which is a, a biggest symbol of Persephone that most people know, it ripened, um, it flowered in early summer and ripened in the fall after the grain was put in the silos. And it's a symbol of fertility. So it's this whole beautiful uh, mosaic of when most of the land is, is dark, this pomegranate is, is flowering and growth can occur even in darkness. That's really interesting. And also, it also um, makes people... It also educates us on the idea of the fertility goddess being so very much connected with the death goddess mm-hmm. and that Persephone can be both, right? Because there seems to be exactly. people thinking that there's a difference. And I've written about this a lot, like this idea of fertility goddesses always walking around the sunshine and being really pregnant and being very serene about it. Whereas I don't know many pregnant ladies or pregnant people who were happy being pregnant all the time. Even <laughs> if they wanted the kid, they're like, okay, yeah, you know what? My, my ankles are swelling and I'm having mood swings and I'm not totally happy. And then, um, the, the fact that a lot of times these death goddesses, which some people might abhor or try to stay away from are the ones that actually had a lot of contributions to life. And so I think that that's, I've always taken that understanding of that the Greeks realized that there could be no life without some sort of death and decay. Something that we here in the Northwest are certainly experiencing between the death within 
the flames of the forest and like what um, Kanani and, and Hillary were talking about, about the new life that comes as a result of the, um, the burning of the forest. And, but then the fact that literally the underground was literally the place where life was growing during the, during the off season. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a, both encapsulated in my experience uh, the fertility goddesses still have that darkness, that, that what we call the, the dark, and I agree with you, that's not necessarily the best term, but the, the death goddesses still have that light. I mean, if you're, when you're pregnant, even though you're carrying new life inside you, there's still, in my opinion, there's still a letting go and a death of the life you had before you became a mother. Because when you become a mother, life changes. And then um, and nature shows us that sometimes we have to clear away and let go. Death has to happen before birth can happen. So I find that um, they're, they're not as far apart as sometimes we think they are. I, I think that one of the most interesting parts of kind of when you start going through these cycles and thinking about these cycles is, is kind of what you said that they're not, you can't have one without the other. Everything that begins has to end in order for something else to begin again. And so it's, it's such a cyclical cycle, but that doesn't mean that it's without trauma. And so I think that's kind of, that's just part of the, the beauty of life in that when, you know, whether it's, it's fires and, and kind of the devastation of that, which then brings new healthy rebirth or it's lives and people and, you know, they get older and they pass. It's to me, it's like, it, it kind of just, I agree with what Courtney said in that sometimes people don't really they think they like the darkness, but they don't really want to think about it. But the truth is you have to really appreciate one to really appreciate the other. Because if you don't appreciate the the sorrow in the morning, then you're not really going to get the full level of, of kind of joy and excitement with the coming changes and the newness of things. And I, I don't know, I feel like, I feel like right now we've kind of, as a whole been stuck in such a, a whole lot of trauma and bad things coming at once that I feel like we kind of are needing some more, we're needing some rebirth desperately because I feel mm-hmm. like we've kind of been living in a shadow of just mourning and things going away. So Robin, you have a whole section on um, on Descent in a Sense, chapter three. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to read a little section of it that I thought would be very helpful for people. Sure. Persephone's myth is one of descent and, and, and ascent, a journey that we all must take throughout our lives. In order to ascend into the light of our conscious potential and personal power, we must first descend into the shadowy realm of our own underworld of the subconscious. If we undertake the journey with intention, we can experience unparalleled growth. However, if we refuse to embrace or even acknowledge this journey, we can often find ourselves stagnant in our lives or some areas of our lives may feel stuck. Descent can be terrifying, though for some, ascent can be daunting as well. The journey requires a willingness to be vulnerable and an almost blind trust and leap of faith as we find ourselves enveloped in darkness. I know for me, that's been very true in doing my own shadow work. Um, breaking, I think for me, breaking a lot of old relationship patterns was really key, but not just looking to saying, oh, look at all these things that happened to me. But the, the challenge for me was looking at where I was complicit mm. in, those, in those moments and then taking control of that. 
right? And realizing that I had as much power to hurt people as people had power to hurt me. And it was, I feel for me anyway, it was taking, taking that journey during a very, very difficult part of my life about 10 years ago. And then coming, that's when I met my husband on the other side of that, you know, actually 11 years ago now. But I remember it was, it was through the fall when that happened, um, that I, you know, I needed to, to do with that shadow. Um, you know, what are some other examples of how somebody might, um, of, of what, it, what, what that means that descent and ascent? I think that, um, I think what you said was very powerful. I think a, a big piece of it is we have to be willing to take account, accountability for our part in it. And one of the meditations I talk about, or I, I have in the book has to do with labels. And there, throughout our lives, there are labels that people put on us. And so we are complicit because we allow those labels oftentimes without thinking about it, or we put the labels on ourselves. So, you know, something as simple as um, I didn't do well at math in school. Oh, I must not be able to do math. You know, those types of things. Um, and those can kind of pile on after a while until we can lose a sense of ourselves pretty easily. And so part of that shadow work is really getting back to who are we, the core of who we are. Um, acknowledging the good, which sometimes is harder than acknowledging the bad. And then, like you said, seeing where we've been complicit, which is, is a little bit hard at times. You know, we really don't like to, to see that part of ourselves. But the flip side of that is it shows us that we do have power. Even when we're giving other people power, we are, we are giving it. We have power um, that we don't always realize or acknowledge that we have. So I think a, a lot of it is, you know, really thinking about where are the areas of our life where we are stuck and what are the patterns? One of the things I, I do actually at the nonprofit world is called a timeline where you basically plot out your life and you plot out the significant events that have happened in your life and what are the patterns, both the good and the bad. And you'll, it's interesting how you'll see a lot of times it happens with relationships. We'll see that we keep being drawn to the same types of relationships that aren't necessarily healthy, but they're comfortable for us for some reason. Um, and so I think that's a big piece of it. I think also too, is we tend to, as you were mentioning earlier, think of dark as bad or shadow as bad. And a lot of the, the patterns I found that I have when I've done shadow work were born out of a need when I was younger to cope with something or protect myself in some way. And so I think it's important too, to, um, be able to, to understand that, to not label even our shadow selves and to grieve. I think as Kanani mentioned earlier, the grieving, um, of that and is part of the letting go. And, uh, but I think it's another piece too, with the, once we figure out what we're letting go of, what is it we want to fill that void is, what is it we want to change about our lives and really focusing on that part once we've let go. Oh man, this is turning into a giant therapy session because I'm sitting here having all these connections with, <laughs> with things that I've done. And it's, it's exactly right. Cause I've seen, sometimes I've been really critical of myself for that, you know, that I, if I get nervous in a situation, I, start trying to make everybody laugh. And that can be exhausting when all of a sudden there's this very loud personality that is, you know, kind of taking up all the oxygen in the room and I, I catch myself doing it and I have to pull back. And then, um, I realized, you know, where that came from is, is being the kid that was always getting teased and bullied because I looked different and kids didn't know what to make of that. So I learned very early on if I could take control as soon as possible in a situation and make everybody laugh, then people couldn't, people could laugh at me, but it's on my terms. You couldn't make fun of the person who was making everybody else laugh. You know, it's the, it's the, the mask of the clown. Um, and it's so interesting that, 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 
was a part of one of the, the shadow work that I did was actually reconnecting with some people who bullied me as a kid, wow. reaching out to them on, on Facebook. And Kanani said I was being creepy. And I said, that's fine. They were being cruel. Like <laughs> so I, I reached out to them and it just was like, Hey, do you remember me? And they were, you know, grown ups, and they were like, Oh yeah, totally. How are you good? How are you doing? And they were, you know, fine, whatever. And, but it helped me suck the power that their, that their childhood voices had in my head because I realized they aren't those people anymore, except when they are. And this morning, one of them came onto my Facebook page and she started bullying me essentially. Wow. And I turned it around on her and I was just like, go ahead. Tell me that I'm a nerd. Tell me that I'm ugly. Tell me that my hair, that my hair is huge. Okay. Cause you know what? I know I'm a nerd. I know I'm not ugly. And even if I was, I don't care. You know, and my hair is big. Yeah. And you know what? It's awesome. Like all the things that's like, I was almost just like ready, like, go for it. Try me, Mm -hmm. try me, try what you used to try. Cause you're not going to succeed. And there was just this, and it's not even a power over this woman. It's a power over that, that period of my life and those defense mechanisms that I've put up for so many years. And that to me is, is. I feel like that's part of the Persephone moment that's coming out because it was directly related to the drama, the trauma that we're going through right now, you know, it was a post I made about the fires and she mocked me for it, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, Hey, I'm coming out of this the way Persephone came out of Hades and you don't have that power over me anymore. Wow. I'm totally getting into some shit. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But the, the light part of that really shadow time is that that was the year I met Kanani, my friend. Aww. Yeah. Was that horrible, horrible seventh grade? It's so funny. We had very different experiences. You did. We did. And that's, we totally did. So if someone is interested in working with Persephone, I get this question a lot about like how to approach a god or goddess, how to work with a god or goddess. Are there any recommendations that you might have, Robin, for someone who's interested in working with Persephone? I think a good starting point is just setting up an altar to her. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. I find that, um, you know, dried flowers to me are like a great thing for her because you have the, the spring part with the flower, but you also have the, the, the underworld part represented it with it being dried. But, um, and just for me, the thing that works the most is just developing a relationship, sitting down in meditation, even if it's just five minutes a day, and just talking to her um, and listening um, you know, or, or chanting to her. There's a lot of different ways that you can connect with her, but it's, I think a lot of times we, we make it that it has to be this big thing. Like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to connect with this goddess or this God? And really a lot of times I find that if we just take the time to sit down and be still and listen, read the myths, um, reach out to her, um, you know, even something as simple as, as pondering on the pomegranate, there's a whole bunch of symbolism within the pomegranate. Those are the things that I have found that help me connect with her. And if you're somebody that, that really associates with her in the springtime, gardening is a huge way to do that. Just getting your fingers down in the soil. And, and there's a stillness, I think, sometimes, or meditation that comes just when you're gardening. If you are drawn more to the, um, the psychopomp aspect of her, it's maybe doing some ancestor work or maybe even volunteering at a hospice. There's a lot of ways that you can connect with her. That's wonderful. And I think also I would recommend that read the myths multiple times yeah. in different parts of your life because the first time you read a myth is going to hit you one way or it may not hit you at all. And at another time in your life, if it hits you again, it's going to hit you in a different way. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. 
so you also mentioned that Persephone is very helpful with manifestation. Um, what kinds of magic would you recommend people consider using her for in addition to the psychopomp um, and, uh, you know, in the springtime magic? So for me, one thing I really like to do with Persephone is to work with her on planting seeds. And that can be a literal planting of a seed, um, as long as you don't put too much focus on whether or not or how well it grows or plant something very easy. But having that seed really um, be a symbol for what it is you wish to bring into your life and tending to that. And there's something about physically tending to that seed or that plant that really helps your mind focus in um, on what it is in your life that you're trying to bring in. The other thing, you can do that more metaphorically. So I've done things where I have... um, created a collage or some sort of physical symbol to um, really help me focus on what it is I want to bring into my life. And so I will set that on her altar and just spend some time every day giving attention to that. And really that's how we make things grow, right? Is by giving our attention and time to something. So that's another way uh, that I tend to work with her for manifestation. So it sounds like it's really manifestation of, of anything you're trying to bring in, but that there's a lot of, of attention to, to it being kind of, of the growth of the seed. Yes. It sounds like she'd also be kind of a good goddess to work with for new moons. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've been really interested in kind of doing some more of the working more with like the new moons and the full moons. And I've been doing a lot of my spell work around there. And um, it's kind of funny. This is the, I, when I originally kind of came into uh, a more formal kind of practice myself, I kind of was very focused on um, Bridget because she was, you know, hearth harvest home. And I was very much into at that time, kind of thinking about, you know, I've always been focused and known I was going to be a mother and having home and all that kind of stuff. So I really connected with her and I kind of, this is the first time that I've spoken or kind of learned of all the goddesses and gods that I've, I've learned about or heard about. This is kind of the first one that another one has kind of piqued my interest because I just kind of feel like this is, this goddess is kind of, might work with me a little, might help me a little bit more in exploring a little bit more of, of the shadow work and whatnot that I've been focused on. So I guess my question would be, what would be a good way to work with Persephone in regards to an approach Persephone in regards to shadow work? So one thing that, um, that I did with her, which helped me quite a bit, I was really just starting to spend some some time with her, um, particularly in the in the um, waning moon, spending some time with her, um, and really starting to asking for some guidance on what is really trying to figure out what is the one big thing in my life that is holding me back, and peeling away the layers, asking for guidance with that. I also find um, divination with her to be very helpful. In fact, there's a couple of different ways to to do that in the book. Um, involving bay leaves, which are, of course are very important to the Greeks, and then also a simple system you can set up with, with, um, with marbles. But really, any kind of divination tool you can ask her to help you sh- to help show you those issues, those shadow work issues in your personal underworld that you need to work on. Um, and the meditations, the guided meditations too, are very helpful. I think in in really getting to the heart of that. So a lot of it depends on what you're the most comfortable with, what tools you're the most comfortable in using. 
but those are the ones that I've found to be the most effective for me. The other thing I've done is um, really trying to, and in one of the rituals talks about this, taking wheat, like you can get at Michael's or any arts and crafts stores, and separating the chaff from the wheat while you're trying to think about um, what, what it is you need to let go of. Those are really good suggestions. So we have a listener question. I'm a Leo Sun, Virgo rising, Capricorn moon. Basically somebody who could run the world. I love that combination. All right. So listener, you've got a great chart there. I mean, I don't know what the rest of it is, but those three are, are certainly good for anything you want to do. Um, I lived and played in the woods of the Pacific Northwest since I was born and identify as a forest witch. I was wondering how easy it is to get to work with more than one god or goddess. Santa Muerte has been persistent in getting my attention. Hades, Lilith, Persephone, and Hecate have also presented themselves to me. Can I work with all of them, or do I have to choose just one? Robin, what do you think? So this is my personal opinion. Um, I don't think you have to choose. I work with many different deities, and um, and usually what will happen is if I if I have one particular deity that has an issue with another deity, um, then I will heed that. You know, for example, I, I don't work with this tradition, but I have friends that work more so with a Santeria or a voodoo tradition, and who have told me that um, Yamaya and Oya, you'd never want to work with both of them. But for me, with the Greek gods in particular and the Celtic gods and goddesses, I have not run into any problems um, working with multiple gods or goddesses. In fact, I've been very fortunate that the deities I work with seem to be very accepting and encouraging because as, as amazing as all the deities that I work with are, there's rarely one deity that meets all of my needs or that speaks to all aspects of my personality or the work that I need to do. I think that's, I think that's a really helpful tip because I think that that's, like you said, unless you know for certain that, you know, within the lore and within the mythology, there's, you know, two that just absolutely should not be in the same room together. You know, for the most part, you're not, you're, you're going to need different things from, from different people. And so it can be more helpful if you just kind of go to those to me, I feel like if you're going to do, if you, for people who practice deity worship, that makes perfect sense because if you want to focus on one aspect, then you want to focus on that deity for it, as opposed to kind of wanting all these different things and then trying to get them all out of the same person. It's kind of like different people specialize in different things. So mm-hmm. if, you, if there's something specific you want to focus on, then go to the source. I completely agree. And if just like what Robin said, if there are specific traditions that advise you against it, they'll let you know. And I think you'll also, if the gods or goddesses don't want to work together, they will let you know <laughs> in no uncertain terms. Um, the only thing I would say to this listener is you're working almost entirely with death energy here. Uh, Santa Muerte is literally Saint Death. Um, Hades, God of the Underworld, Persephone, as we know, has, has a role in the Underworld. Hecate has a role in the Underworld. Lilith, um, not as much with death, but with things that are um, intense and scary. Nothing wrong with working with that energy. But if that's the only energy you're working with, I think that you could find yourself out of balance. Um, I would say the same thing to somebody who is only working with um, with like sun or or more growth energy. You've got to have a balance here. So I would encourage you to swim out of this pond a little bit and perhaps um, perhaps look at connecting with gods or goddesses that are a little more above ground. Um, if you're interested in the Greeks, you know, certainly Demeter, who was a great balance with Persephone and Hecate. Um, also seeing Athena, 
because Athena is very much about working in the community and very much above ground. Um, with uh, Lilith, I would also consider, you know, looking at Asherah as the wife of God. So again, some more above ground energy, just to kind of keep things in, pers- you know, just to kind of, just, you want to keep things balanced. You don't only want to be working with one type of energy that is going to put you off. And especially if you're only working with death energy, that's going to, that's going to affect you negatively ultimate in the long run. So shake it up a bit. You know, we actually have time for this and we rarely, we haven't done this in quite a while, but I think Kanani, it is a time for our as below. So above, which we have not done in ages. And that's the ritual where we talk about something we want to let go and also talk about something we want to bring in. Now in the past, we've been together in the same place written it down on cauldrons and burned it. We're not together and we're not burning anything right now. So this is going to have to be um, energetic intention. So um, I will fall on the proverbial sword and go first. Um, I'm letting go of fear of the unknown because I trust myself. And there's certainly a lot of fear and uncertainty that's, that's happening in our world. But I also know that I've weathered through periods of uncertainty before. I will do it again. So I am releasing the fear of the uncertainty and I am bringing in focus and confidence. Kanani, you're next. I think what I would like to let go of is is anxiety. I'm not necessarily fearful of what's to come, even though I don't necessarily think good things are coming in the immediate future. Um, cause I know that we'll, we'll get through it, but it still makes me very, very anxious and it leaves me feeling unsettled. And so I feel like, I, I feel like I would like to let go of that feeling of just anxiety about it and allow myself to kind of be washed over with my, with the comfort of it's just a moment in time and, and we will get past that moment in time. So I feel like I want to let go of anxiety and I would just like to, I think bringing in focus is great because I think that's kind of what the anxiety has prevented me from being able to do and just focus on what I can control, focus on what is happening, focus on um, being able to accomplish what's in front of me and what I need to accomplish and kind of just disregard the the chaos that's kind of happening and and allow me to just kind of feel good about what I'm doing when I'm doing it. Mm, so mote that shit. Robin, how about for you? So I think for me, one thing I'm working on letting go of is, um, is limitations that I place on myself as it relates to my physical health um, and having having a tendency to have my mind try to control my body. And what I'd like to bring in is having a less adversarial relationship with my physical body and having more relationship where I'm working with and trusting in the wisdom of my body and also just embracing and loving myself more. Mm. That's really good. Yeah. So mode all of that shit. Kanani and I are having these, this, these powerful priests. You, you, you came on to talk about your book and you ended up priestessing both of us. Oh, Robin, <laughs> you poor thing. You, <laughs> Oh, no, that's great. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually really excited because I don't I have I don't have any goddess statues in my home. I have some I have Buddhas. Um and and that's not entirely true. I have kind of a a goddess-like uh outdoors figure, but I don't have any like one that's supposed to represent a specific deity. 
And I'm very suddenly feeling the need for a Persephone altar. And I've never, I've never had a deity focused altar before. And I'm feeling very drawn to creating that. And I don't know why, but I feel like she's going to bring me balance. And so I'm actually very excited about, um, kind of finding out where this is going to go because I'm kind of, I feel like I've, I've, I've stepped onto a path. And so I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely stealing the book from Courtney. We'll start there. Oh, and you know I will gift it to you. I will actually willing. I mean, I've, I have read it and I love it, but I also know that it really belongs with Kanani. So maybe, yes. I, maybe I was the psychopomp for the book. It's quite possible. So yes. So I will be, you know, reading the book and I'm, I'm definitely going to be on the hunt for uh, a Persephone statue. And I actually, what's it made me laugh when you mentioned that a great uh, kind of altar item for her are dried flowers because I happen to love dried flowers and I often oh. have dried flowers in my home, all over my home. So that kind of made me giggle. Um, but so I'm really excited because I feel like this, this is the first time, as I said, that I've kind of really been drawn to someone and I feel like this maybe is kind of a new a new path that I'm going to walk down that I wasn't necessarily anticipating in, in my head for whatever reason. The reason I just keep hearing is, is this will help you be more grounded. So I'm kind of excited to see how that comes to fruition. Hmm. That's wonderful. I'm excited for you. Um, okay, so Robin's book is called Persephone, Practicing the Art of Personal Power, and it is available through Pagan Portals. Um, is there a place where people should look for it in particular, Robin? Um, you can find it on any of the major booksellers, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, whatever whatever place you usually get your books, they seem to have it. Yeah, and definitely check your local metaphysical bookstore. A yeah. lot of them co- um, carry the Pagan Portal series, and so if, if they don't have it on stock, they might order it for you. And uh, Robin, how can people keep in touch with you? So you can find me by my name on Instagram and Facebook, but I also have a website, and it's www.phoenixawen.com rising.com. I have my blog, Phoenix Rising on Agora Pathios. And if you happen to be attending the Ninefold Festival this coming weekend, I'll be teaching a class on Persephone and the underworld there as well. Yay! Anyway, in the meantime, uh, thank you all again so much for listening. And um, as always, if you want to support the show, best way to do it, subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast platform, buy us a coffee, or check out our merch in our Etsy store. And don't forget, for bonus content, become a supporter on Patreon. Robin has generously agreed to record one of the guided meditations from her Persephone book. It will be available on Patreon. So if you want to support her for as little as a dollar a month, you can have access to that and all kinds of other great content. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for show notes, audio transcript, or to ask us a question to answer on a future episode, go to thatwitchlife.com. Until then, keep moting that shit. We will talk to you all next week. Bye. Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes or to ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. I I would run off with Jason Momoa if I had the chance though. Like <laughs> Well, it pretty much sealed the deal when you're like ate something they're not supposed to regardless of consequences. Like, well, that that's my life right there in a nutshell. <laughs>
<laughs> eats whatever they want and doesn't listen to what other people suggest. <laughs>